Well, hello, family. My name is Eddie. I am uh, the recently appointed lead pastor at Grace Covenant Church, Sterling. Pastor David and Megan and their team is getting ready to leave soon, so we're we're doing what we can to to build it in their place. I'm excited about that. I am so excited to be with you tonight because we are celebrating our Lead Well graduation. And I'm sure that many of you know this, but we really, we care about leaders in this house. One of our five, five core values, one of the things that, that shapes and defines the culture here at Grace is leadership development. We care about leaders because we care about the gospel and we care about the Great Commission. And so we're excited to be able to celebrate these individuals um, who have gone through our leadership development program called Lead Well. Uh, they've devoted a great amount of time to it, and we'll talk a little bit about that more in a moment. If you're interested in that, we've got, we've got some uh, information meetings coming up. The first one's going to be in May the 26th. I have you captive, so I'm, I'm using this time to add some more announcements. Um, May 26th after the third service, and then we'll, we'll start taking applications in June. Um, but like I said, we, we care about helping you become great leaders because we care about this gospel and we care about the fact that God has a purpose for our salvation that extends beyond us. Have you ever considered the question, why God saves his people? I mean, if you've been in church long enough or you've gone to a Christian bookstore, you've seen a mug that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I learned it in the King James that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life everlasting life. Absolutely, God loves us and he saves us. But sometimes we stop and we individualize the gospel and we say, okay, that's why God saved us. When God has a greater purpose, you you might say he has an eschatological purpose for this gospel. So the question is, what is the purpose of this gospel? And, and, And the bigger question is, what is the purpose of your life? So I want us to consider from Scripture very quickly the purpose of our salvation and the purpose of our lives. For what purpose does God save us? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 10, and we'll focus on verse 10. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for 
taking us from being dead in our trespasses and sins, dead in our rebellion, dead in our criminal, spiritual criminal state, and raising us to new life, recreating us for the purpose of living in relationship with you and doing good works that would reflect your glory. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the purpose for which you have saved us, that we might do good works in this world and so bring glory to your name, that we might be a mosaic of the glory of God so that the world sees and cannot argue with the fact that God has done something, that God is in the world, that God, you have accomplished something. Holy Spirit, show us these things from Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to go very quickly through the first nine verses. Verses one through four really lay out the the struggle and the situation that we find ourselves in. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were not, you know, lame. You were not um, broken. You were not simply just, you know, having a bad day. No, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are unresponsive as it relates to God. We are in need not of just uh, behavior modification. We are in need of resurrection. And he goes on to say that, that this is not an inert, uh, lazy deadness. So this is a very active, disobedient, rebellious deadness. We were dead following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were in it 100%. We were, we were children of wrath, the Bible says. Wrath was standing over us because all we had was disobedience and all God had for us apart from Christ was the punishment for that wrath, the just, righteous anger of God before us. This is our situation. It's a dire situation. Right? This is the bad news that we don't like to share with everyone. You know, we, sometimes we want to, you know, what, Jesus loves you. Well, okay, well, I, I mean, a lot of people, well, your situation's a little bit worse than that. Well, what do you mean? Well, you're dead. <laughs> what? You, the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Right? Sometimes we want to shy away from it, but it's a reality that we have to reckon with because if we don't, then we won't appreciate the, the, the plan and the purpose and the love and the, the mercy of God that we see in verse 4. I'm going to keep moving quickly, but God... Two great words, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Rich in mercy, God has, he's got cauldrons full of gold coins of mercy because he loves us. And we don't know why he, he loves us because he loves us. The same way that a father loves his daughter or his son because that's his daughter or his son. They've chosen them. They've selected them. That, that's the one that they love because they're in the family. They love them. And he says, because of his great love towards us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he does what? He makes us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Because God is merciful, he not only saves us, but he elevates us to the stature of Christ, seating us with him in the heavenly places. I'm not even sure, not even sure what that means. In some mystical, spiritual way, we are present with Christ right now. You know, when you look around and you see your circumstances, if you are in Christ right now, if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you trust in him, then, then there is a, a spiritual connection that you are present before the Father, right? We are not just talking to God and sending him envelopes of hope 
asking him to speak to us? No, but we are present at his throne. But God. And he says that we are saved by grace, not by our works, not because of the things we do, not because of you know, how studious we are, or how little we cuss, or how uh, you know, many times we give to the poor, or any of these things. We aren't saved because of any of those things, but we're saved by God's gracious love for us, mediated to us through faith. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now the problem is, is a lot of us, we're like, that's awesome, and we stop there. And we say, God saved me. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm alive in Christ. I, I, can, I can talk to him. I am present in the throne room of grace. In Christ, I am justified. I'm considered right before him. My sin has been washed away. And these are all amazing, real realities. I am not saying that they're not real. But to stop here is to stop short of the purpose of God. We, we can't treat the gospel this good news, our salvation, as, as this kind of um, get-out-of-hell-free card. You know, sometimes th- th- that's, that's how individuals will, will orient themselves around the gospel. And, and if we're not careful, our lives will settle to the place where we're oriented towards the gospel in that way. It's that thing that we believed in for the sake of our salvation, and now we're going to get on with the rest of our lives. You know, what's, what's the gospel? It's that thing I believed over there so that I could have a relationship with God and I could live, you know, a good life now and, and not be afraid of going to hell. That's reductionistic. That's, that's less than what God has for us. That's, that's watching TV black and white when God has an HD life for us. A 4K life, whatever we're at now. 8K, <laughs> virtual reality, I don't know. Brain chips. God has a purpose, and we're going to look at that purpose very quickly. Look at verse 10 with me. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to encourage you this evening. If you are in Christ, you are not just saved from hell. You are not just brought into his kingdom reluctantly. You are his workmanship, the Greek word there, it, it's, think of, of artistry. Think of uh, a, a master craftsman. And this is not a general sense like God's just taking a big, broad stroke and saying, my church. No, you individually in Christ are a workmanship of God. How amazing it is, is it that God has a purpose for your individual life, uh, uh, you know, to, to think about, how many of you guys are familiar with Bob Ross? Each of you is a, a beautiful, wonderful, special bush or tree that could never be replaced by another one. Without that, the canvas is a little bit less happy. Bob Ross is a little bit, I should, I, we'll stop there. You are his work of art. And as children of God, saved by grace, our lives are intended to be expressions of grace, paintings of God's sovereign goodness. Your, your life has a purpose. You know, artists want to express something that's in their heart. They want to give expression to something kind of primal within their soul. And God, in his creative goodness, created creation 
to express his character. And, and even through, though sin happened and, and, and creation has been marred and fallen, he still has a purpose to recreate, right? He says that we are created in Christ Jesus, created again as his workmanship, a dynamic artistry, a gallery of God's glory. God has saved you and me in order that we might be displayed in the world. Unlike paintings and statues, we live a dynamic work of art. And our lives, are, our good works are intended to evidence God's goodness. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says it this way, verses 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works the good works that you're supposed to do that God prepared beforehand and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your life is intended to be a beautiful, amazing picture that draws attention to the glory of God. When people see the sin and brokenness that God has redeemed, when people see what you went from and what you're going to and how God's character has been being formed in you, it ought to elicit a kind of response in people to say, God is at work in that. They see the work of art and they see and and recognize the glory of the artist. God is so intentional that he's laid out and prepared these good works in advance. He says in in Ephesians that these good works were, were works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These these are good works that God prepared beforehand in in verse in chapter one, verse four uh, of the same book. Paul says that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. So, so God had already, before the foundation of the world, figured out that salvation was going to happen, that he was going to send his son, Jesus Christ, that he was going to redeem his people. And if he was already before the foundations of the world planning salvation, then surely he was planning the purpose of salvation, his good works, for his glory. God has planned and prepared for you to live a life that reflects the character and nature of Christ, a humble life like Christ, a sacrificial life like Christ, a God-centered life like Christ. And tonight, God is inviting each of us to take part in his grand gallery of glory. God wants you to, to love in such a way that only God can take credit. It's easy to love people who are nice and and good-looking and smell good and they're not annoying. It's hard to love your enemy. It's hard to love people who are difficult to love. I mean, it's funny, but it's like, clearly God is at work because I could never do that. We, we laugh and we joke, but, but that's, that's what God intends. God wants us to serve and sacrifice that only in a way that only God can gain glory. I so often think about the martyrs in the early church and, and how they were faced with, Bill, you can, you can burn at the stake or you can, you can recant, you can turn away from Jesus Christ. And they didn't question it. They burned at the stake. Many of them sang hymns as they burned alive. I mean, this is not the sort of thing that a rational, thoughtful, pros and cons type person will do. Pros, I live and I don't burn. Cons, well, there aren't any cons. 
That, that's the way the world thinks about this sort of thing. But, but there's something about living a life where we're g- doing good works unto God for his glory that we go to and, and we, we go to the proverbial, or hopefully never, but the, the proverbial stake, singing hymns, glorifying God, living sacrificially in a way that the world can only say, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. We want to give our lives in such a way that together we, again, form a mosaic of the person of Jesus Christ. This is why, we, this is why he has a church. This is why it's important to do more than just, I, am, I have a relationship with God. That relationship with God doesn't mean anything unless it can express itself horizontally where we're loving people who are difficult to love, loving people who are different from us, loving people who you know, are, are, have different life experiences and life choices. That's not how the world works. But when we're all pursuing these good works, when we're all pursuing a lifestyle that reflects the glory of God together in unity, it creates not just one work of art, but many works of art that, that culminate into a glorious mosaic of God's glory. God is inviting each of us to take part in this grand gallery. To finish up, before Christ we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, sent Jesus Christ to live this perfect life that we should have lived in our place, that, that we should have lived. He lives it in our place for our sins, dying on the cross in our place for our sins, defeating Satan's sin and death, rising again, and, and we have the opportunity to experience salvation, but not just salvation, salvation with a purpose, a glorious purpose, a purpose that, that is intended to bring light and reflection and majesty to the person who created all of creation, a purpose that doesn't end at death, a purpose that goes on for the rest of eternity, I mean, I, I, I constantly go back to this, but when we come to church we, and we pray and sing, we aren't just doing something here locally. We're entering into something that's already happening in eternity. Angels are already worshiping God. God is already being glorified by all of creation. And our lives are intended to enter into that, to, to take part in, in becoming the glory of God. As we live by faith, our lives, our good works form the gallery of God's glory in the world. Let's pray. Father God, please let us, please don't allow us to stop at I'm saved. Father, let us live lives that are saved towards a purpose, towards a, a, an eternal, before the foundations of the world, world-changing, world-confusing, God-glorifying purpose. Father, I pray that, that as we consider what leadership looks like, as we consider what it looks like to be trained and equipped, that the purpose would not be to, to become better acquainted with our salvation, but that be, we'd be equipped for the sake of his glory, that we'd be equipped for the sake of good works in the world, God, we want to see you glorified. If you're in this room and you've never made a decision for Christ, if you've never um, 
committed your life to Christ, God has a purpose for you. He has a glorious purpose for your life that was established before the foundations of the world. And he offers salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ, by turning away from everything you know to be sin and and turning to trust in him. If that's you, I would love for you to pray with me. You can raise your hand. The raising of the hand is not magical. It's just a way of responding to the things that God's doing in your soul. All right. Well, Father God, seal this word in us. Lord, make us people who are passionate about your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.